0: Hello again everyone and welcome back to Octopulse, our Detroit News, Detroit Red Wings podcast. I'm Detroit News Assistant Sports Editor Mark Faulkner and I'm joined by our Red Wings beat reporter Ted Colfin. Coming up we'll hear from the NHL's youngest play-by-play announcer Jason Ross Jr. He's a 23-year-old Farmington Hills native who became the first Black TV broadcaster with the Chicago Blackhawks earlier this year. But first Ted, The Red Wings are back after the All-Star break, a home-and-home with the Philadelphia Flyers, tomorrow night in Philadelphia, and then back here on Saturday afternoon. As for the All-Star game weekend in Las Vegas, do you think, Ted, the game will ever come to Little Caesars Arena? The All-Star game was here in 1980 at Joe Louis Arena, February the 5th, about 46 years ago, when the largest crowd ever at the time, 21,002 fans, gave Gordie Howe a four-minute standing ovation in pregame introductions. Do you think the game will ever come here, and do you think fans care about these All-Star games?
2: Well, that's the thing, Mark. I really don't think i are mm-hmm. rushed to get it because of the fact they're simply – it's just such a poor watch. It really is. I mean, mm-hmm. I forced myself to watch a few minutes of it. But it was – it's not quite as bad as NFL's Pro Bowl, but, I mean, <laughs> we're getting to that point. Uh they have to do it for the sponsors and whatnot, and mm-hmm. I'm not sure there's a segment of fans, the kids that probably enjoy watching it, but it's such a difficult watch. It's not hockey, and you you wonder how they can fix it going forward, but I don't, I, it's, I don't think anybody's... I, they're, I think they're going to keep it in these warm weather destinations mm-hmm. just by some of the better players to not pass on it and attend these games and play in them, but it's a difficult thing. I think the only All Star Game that really holds any sort of and any sort of interest is baseballs, but even that one is waning a little bit. Mm-hmm. Over the years, they've just got know on all these sports, they've just not, they just don't have the interest or the magic that they used to have when we were all growing up watching them. For some reason, but now I don't think. I mean, they they give it a good chance, they give it a good opportunity with this three-on-three format, but I think mm-hmm. as the years have gone on, I don't know about you, but it just, it just doesn't hold it any wonder. I mean, going forward, there's rumors of maybe a, a World Cup this time of year in 2024. I think that would be a much better mm-hmm. opportunity for people to, I think people would really get into that. I mean, I think they're missing the NHLers in the Olympics right now, I think. People were looking forward to that. But the All-Star game as it is, I mean, you know, it is what it is. But I don't think a lot of people are dying to see it coming to Detroit or anywhere, really, for that
0: matter. Ted, let's hear now from Red Wings coach Jeff Blaschel. Here you are asking Blaschel about this six-day All-Star break and how it might affect the team when they hit the ice today. Hey, Jeff, I'm curious. I mean, at the end of this week, you got that another six-day break or whatever it is. I guess
2: there's two sides to it. You're never going to pass up some time off, but is it difficult to stop and start and stop and start like that consistently? Well, the one thing I'd say is the whole league's doing it, you know, and and so it's yeah. it's a fair thing across the league. And, and any you know any difficulty, I I think personally. That those days off are great for the players to refresh and and, and let's attack the, the second you know now it's kind of the it's it's past the second half but basically the second half so um, you know you'd like to have more than one practice before you play after having days off but the you know the whole league's in the same situation so um, you know I'm not I'm not concerned about it I think guys uh, will will take full advantage of it. Um, I'll be at a youth hockey tournament in Chicago. And, uh, so my son won't be, my sunshine won't be the same, but, uh, uh, you know, and then we'll get back at it come next Tuesday. So I'm not, I'm not the least bit concerned about it.
0: So Ted, is it all downhill for the Red Wings now? They certainly exceeded expectations before the all-star break, getting to four games over 500 after Marit Sider's overtime winner. Here against the Islanders, that was back on December the 5th, a 4-3 win. So they were 13-9-3 in the first 25 games. In the next 22 games, they're five games under five hundred. It's 7-12-3. They also have one of the most difficult schedules. After these games against the Flyers, they play in order. The Wild, the Rangers, the Avalanche, Maple Leafs, Hurricanes, Lightning, and Panthers. If they're not careful, Ted, they could really dig themselves a deep hole here, right?
2: See that's the thing, Mark. It's it's incredible this second half schedule. I know it just worked out the way it did, but mm-hmm. all these a, a significant number of these teams that they're playing are having really big seasons, and they're among the top teams in the league. I think their record is they're going to have a difficult, difficult time. I would imagine staying close to five hundred. Mm-hmm. It's the way it is. I mean, they're faced facing an avalanche of good teams, and. I'm just not sure that they're equipped to play a lot of these teams closely on a night-to-night basis. This month of February, I mean, it's, it just worked out the way it did, obviously. They're going to make up some of the postponements. Mm-hmm. I think they're going obviously, with Philadelphia and Colorado is going to be a difficult game, but it's, boy, I tell you, it's just going to be a difficult test these last couple months because there's a lot of hockey in a short period of time and against a lot of good teams.
0: Time now, Ted, for our interview segment. Today's guest is a broadcaster who used to practice calling play-by-play up in the press box at Little Caesars Arena. And now tomorrow night at age 23, Jason Ross Jr. will be calling the Blackhawks game against the Oilers in Edmonton. Joining us now is Detroit broadcaster Jason Ross Jr., who at the age of 23, became the first black play-by-play announcer with the Chicago Blackhawks this season when he filled in for Blackhawks legend Pat Foley, who used to call hockey games at Michigan State and with the old Grand Rapids Owls of the IHL. Foley is about to retire after nearly 40 years in Chicago. Jason, welcome to the podcast. And before we talk about Pat Foley, I talked to one of your Detroit broadcasting mentors, Trevor Thompson, who most sports fans in this area know as that TV reporter for Valley Sports Detroit, covering the Red Wings, Tigers, and Pistons, and, you know, Jason, he remembered meeting you for the first time, and we were just confirming it was 2016, the Horizon League basketball tournament at Joe Lewis Arena. He says you were so young back then, you're 23 now, but that was like back six years ago, and... You know, he remembers distinctly from that day. He said he could see it in your eyes, your work ethic, what you were talking about. He could hear it in your voice. I'm wondering what you remember about that first meeting, Jason, and how has Trevor Thompson influenced your broadcasting career?
1: Wow, I I vividly remember that first meeting too. I remember uh, he and Matt Shepard, who is now mm-hmm. the Tigers' a TV play-by-play announcer, um, spoke to. It was kind of a group of at the time, people who were looking to get into broadcasting and uh, were were excited to do that. And I remember I was very excited that day knowing I was going to meet Trevor, someone who I at that time hadn't met yet and had watched on TV for so many years. And Mm -hmm. I do remember sitting in the very front row with my notebook out. And I think I even brought my (laughs) boards um, that day because I wanted to show Trevor my boards. And um, so, yeah, I was in the of asking questions, had my boards, had my notebook and uh, I, I definitely vividly remember shaking Trevor's hand for the first time and from that point on he's been uh, a mentor for me in life and in broadcasting and we have become very good friends. It's, it's so crazy to consider him a friend now. I used to look up to him watching him on TV and um, now he's a friend of mine and a mentor of mine and I've learned a lot when it comes to the craft of broadcasting from him. I remember I would pick his brain at Red Wings games and Ask him, okay, in this scenario, what should you do here and what should you do here? Mm. And I've learned so much throughout the years from watching him. He's so composed on the air, so comfortable, so confident. I really admire that about him. And then he's just great as a person, as you know. So um, now I will text him uh, when I have some good news. And he's so happy for me. And it's really cool to see things coming full circle. And Trevor gave me an amazing opportunity when I was still in college to report for what we called Detroit Sports Media, which was Mm -hmm. our, we had a group of reporters and uh, I was one of them. And he gave me this opportunity to go to Red Wings games and Pistons games and Tigers games. And I would go, I'd film a report and then I would edit the report posted on our social media channels. And doing that was a way for me to, at the time, get reps in a professional environment and learn the ins and outs of being at a Red Wings game. And then when I finished that up, I'd go to the gondola at LCA and I would call games into my recorder for practice. So I've probably done that over, (laughs) I've probably done that hundreds of times, just going up in the gondola, nobody's listening and calling the game into my recorder for practice. And um, at, at a certain point, there uh, I had a friend join me on the Detroit Sports Media team. Uh, her name is Jenna Rose. She's also working here with the Blackhawks now, and we'd do reports together, film them, edit them, then post them. And then she, I'd, I'd call games up in the gondola. We'd be there working on our craft. And um, Trevor gave us that opportunity, and mm-hmm. it is so incredible to look back on that and see how things have progressed since then, because that really laid the foundation of what I'm doing now. And Um, He's he's such a good mentor, such a good friend of mine. So can't thank Trevor enough.
0: In fact, uh, Jason, we don't necessarily have breaking news. This podcast is scheduled to run on Tuesday, February the 8th. But earlier today, you sent Trevor some more good news. Not only did you broadcast on WGN, uh, the Blackhawks game, back on January the 4th against the Avalanche, the Blackhawks. And then on January 8th, TV game with the Golden Knights and the Blackhawks but you're also uh, flying out on the 8th and then the 9th the Blackhawks have a road trip and you shared that news let's uh, please let our audience know that there's more work ahead for you.
1: Yes very exciting news I'm super happy uh, so I will be doing our road trip which will go through Edmonton St. Louis and Winnipeg for the Blackhawks on NBC Sports Chicago so I'm super excited for that. Um, as we record this, I found out earlier this morning, and I am elated and at a loss for words. It's so incredible. I can't thank the people with the Blackhawks enough for this opportunity. It truly is an amazing privilege to be on their air, an original Six franchise, and people who have been so incredibly kind to me and have afforded me this incredible, incredible opportunity. Um, so many people within the organization who had. Love to think that um, it's been like a family here. And I am so happy every time I walk into the office or every time i go going to a game. Um, it truly is the, the light of my day when I get to go to the United Center. And um, mm-hmm. now to be on their air and find out about this road trip is uh, it's, it's nothing short of incredible. It's a privilege. And again, can't thank the Blackhawks enough. And uh, yeah, it was pretty cool to text Trevor that and text <laughs> some other close friends that uh, this morning. Um, That I'll be doing the road trip. So we're very excited, very excited.
0: Yes, congratulations, Jason. You know, Trevor talked about a lot of other things too, and you were talking about all the practicing, co hosting your show with Jenna, Jenna Rose, and volunteering and now working for the Big Ten Network, ESPN, this road trip. But looking back, Jason, why broadcasting when you were growing up in Detroit? And where did hockey fit into your plans?
1: You know, Mark, I think uh, I always loved maybe just via osmosis listening to games on radio and tv uh watching games i think even when i was younger i always loved having um before i could talk my mom told me i just always loved uh, having a a game on um and i think just doing that throughout the years just over and over again i was around the middle school age when i started to i would just watch game highlights all the time and i started to realize like Mm -hmm. there's a there's a voice behind those highlights and that person gets to be at the game and narrate the events and find the proper words to match the picture. And um, I think that I started to realize that was a job I could maybe do. So then from that point on, any book I could find on broadcasting, any video, any podcast, I was listening to it. I was reading it. I was consuming it. That's Mm -hmm. all I wanted to do. For some reason, I just did that all day long. And (laughs) I still do that all day long. I just watch games all day trying to soak in. What can I learn here? What can I learn here? what's this broadcaster saying in this particular scenario? And I'm just, I do that consistently because I think I genuinely love doing that. And um, it's, it's really a craft and it's so fun. And um, I, I, I'm having so much fun right now just talking to you about it. So um, it's something that I think from a very early age, I always loved mm-hmm. being immersed in whether it was at an event or watching a game. So um, yeah, that's kind of how it started. And then on the hockey side, I, would watch games with different people. My dad is a person I would watch games with and uh, we'd go to the Joe at times and I'd be just amazed at what essentially is kind of organized chaos out there. It's so fast. It's, there's Mm. so much physicality yet it's organized and how quick you have to be mentally in the game of hockey. I think I just, I loved that. I played a little bit for the Livonian Knights when I was younger and um, I definitely hope and I, I'm definitely glad I stuck with the broadcasting side um, as opposed to playing, but I, I really enjoy the game, and it's my favorite sport to call, so um, I think it's such a mental challenge uh, when you're calling it, and I enjoy trying to succeed at that mental challenge um, that is calling hockey, so yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's a lot of fun, and uh, yeah, I think that's where all that came together.
0: Jason let's uh, fast forward to your uh, connection with Pat Foley and your first game in the NHL as a fill in following in the footsteps of this Hall of Famer. He'll retire as we said from the outset at the end of the year. He's still working some of the games on NBC Sports Chicago. What was that like though that first game? You've got others coming up though when you got the call, the preparations, the game itself and when you look back, how did you how do you think you did?
1: Gosh, I, I will start to start off your ride. Just have to give so much admiration for what Pat has done here in Chicago and in -hmm. the game of hockey. His voice is obviously synonymous with Blackhawks hockey, and he has become an institution here in the Windy City. And so has John Weideman on radio. Both of them have done such a fantastic job. Incredibly kind people. Uh, I've gotten to chat with Pat on a few different occasions and uh, met him the first time I went up into the press box. Um, at United Center and he's such a great guy I love the smile on his face I love listening to him call games and I love his energy in the in the big moments I he's someone else (laughs) who I love to study Um, love studying John Weideman on radio he's become a good mentor of mine as well wonderful person I met John a few years back in Detroit after a Red Wings Blackhawks game and he's been a great friend ever since Um, I chatted with John a couple of days ago and uh, yeah both of the broadcasters here on radio and TV. The analysts as well. You look at Troy Murray and Eddie Olchek and what mm-hmm. they've done here. So fantastic at what they do. <laughs> so I think um, just trying to, I guess, for me, stepping in, um, realizing that sitting in that chair is a privilege and having that opportunity is a privilege. And for me, when I did the game on TV in Las Vegas, I think the buildup to that, of it being a Saturday night, of it being Marc-Andre Fleury's return, to vegas was something where i just said to myself this is a lot of fun <laughs> and we can have fun tonight sure. and i think people like to this is for me a broadcasting philosophy not only with hockey but any sport especially on a saturday night i think that and especially in las vegas i think that you can build it up as this is something where the fan is they maybe worked all week right and they want to have something to step aside and enjoy themselves with so let's give them an enjoyable product let's make it fun let's do social media videos before the game let's let's hop in the booth and have smiles on our faces and I think working with Colby Cohen that night was fantastic he really made Mm -hmm. me feel relaxed and uh that's what we did we had fun and the game was great we had a Blackhawks win that night and it was fantastic to see Fleury go back and get the win there was excellent build-up right from the start Um, T-Mobile Arena did a wonderful job of kind of in their pregame, doing the Marc-Andre Fleury um, ceremony before the game. And that was so well-deserved he did in Vegas and everything he meant to that community. And I remember after the game, there were floods of people waiting for him outside of the arena. So being able to have that as a narrative was really cool and just kind of flowed with it and got into my pace and my rhythm. And um, it, was, it was wonderful. I had such an incredible night. There are some really cool stories from after the game, where uh, the team gave me the, the game puck that was used. And oh, really? Afterwards, yeah, yeah. That, I, so I have that. I'll, I'll send you a picture of that. I have that and the puck from the Colorado game that I did a few days prior. So I did Colorado versus Chicago, for people that don't know, on WGN Radio a few days before that with Kaylee Chelios, who was fantastic at what she does, and a fellow Michigander there as well. Um, so Kaylee was great to work with. She's a good friend of mine and is doing fantastic on – studio and radio and tv she's just so so good at what she does and um it was fantastic to be a part of that crew that night um it was really really fun i still have not really properly soaked that in yet to continue the story of what happened after the game uh several of the players actually walked up to me afterwards and congratulated me and i had i didn't know how they knew i had become the first um black tv play-by-play broadcaster for our team that night, but they Mm -hmm. they found out and uh, congratulated me after the game, which is something that I'm smiling about thinking of right now because it didn't feel real. Our our captain, Jonathan Taves, who was a great guy walked up to me after the game and shook my hand. And uh, (laughs) that was, that was, that was so cool. That was beyond cool. Um, So that entire night is unforgettable.
0: You know, it was interesting. The, the angle about the black broadcaster, because when I talked to Trevor, You know, he said it's a bit of a shame, Mark, that we're still talking about black broadcasters and black hockey players, especially during Black History Month here in February. Trevor said players like Giovanni Smith of the Red Wings really don't like being singled out because of the color of the skin. He said everyone just wants to be recognized for the work they put in, what they've accomplished with the skill set they bring to a team. What does it mean, uh, Jason, to be the first black broadcaster in Hawks history, which goes all the way back to 1926
1: yeah you know it it really I think soaked in after the game I found out midway through the first period of that game and I think afterwards I started getting messages from people saying that you could be an inspiration for the next generation of broadcasters who maybe wants to see someone that looks like them uh, on the air on an NHL game and um, we don't see a ton of that around you know Trevor in Detroit and Everett in Seattle. And I think that it really afterwards when I got those messages from people, I think that's when it soaked in and it was meaningful from the first time I found out midway through the first period, Mm -hmm. um, receiving those messages from people really made me feel as though that was, that was an honor and that was a privilege. And with, to do it with this team that as you mentioned how far back the history goes, it, Really is still soaking in, and I uh, again can't thank them enough for the opportunity they've given me. It's a very forward-thinking and innovative organization that is willing to do that, and I I really I'm so thankful for everyone here because um, they put me in that chair, and I can't thank them enough for that. But it's it's an honor to be able to say that I was the the first Black TV play-by-play broadcaster for the franchise, and as Trevor mentioned there, hopefully we can start to normalize mm-hmm. that and um, make it more common, and if there's another younger black broadcaster who wants to see someone on TV, they can maybe turn on an NHL game and and see that, and it was pretty cool to know that they could see me that night uh, being in that chair, so yeah.
0: You know, Jason, and that leads me to my final question about being, ironically, a role model. You're only 23. You met Trevor As we said from the outset, when you were 16, I think he used the words templates that you had with all this information. And he is just so proud of the work that you put in that he said a lot of people, they they don't grind it out, that if nothing else, that is something you could teach others. But also on your LinkedIn page, Jason, you talk about humility and teamwork and that those are key attributes as well. So I wonder if you are giving advice to others, whether it's a a young uh, black A hockey fan who is considering something like this. What what are your thoughts about that, Jason?
1: I think that in terms of advice for anyone wanting to, I guess, get into the the game of hockey or if it's broadcasting or any sort of really career path, I love what Trevor mentioned there about grinding it out and really the time and effort and genuine work to do that. I think what I love about this field is that for me, putting in the time and the effort is fun, which doesn't make it feel like a grind. But in hindsight, looking back on it, I did put in a lot of lot of time uh, into this and I poured in what I can't even think of how many all-nighters that I had stayed up all night and grinding away on prepping for a game that I might not be getting paid for, but I'm still going to go do it because I want to have another rep and I want to look back on that rep and say okay we're gonna build on this and get better for the next one and I think that doing that it for me at the time it felt like something that I needed to do. I don't know there wasn't in really any other option it was I want to improve at this and we need to put in work to do that so I would just do it non-stop and I'd go to games and uh, if we were getting there at 8 a.m and leaving at 1 a.m. I'm, I'm perfectly fine with that for getting there, you know, whatever time leaving, whatever time I, it just, it felt like so much fun. And um, looking back on it. A lot of hours went into that, mm-hmm. but uh, I think you need to put in those hours in order to be good at your craft. And I'm still working very much on that, trying to put in as many hours as I can each day to work on my philosophies. Okay. What am I going to do in this, in this scenario? Uh, where should my eyes be here? In a hockey game, in this scenario, where should my energy be? A little nuanced details that can separate the play-by-play. I think that's something I really enjoy working on. So you apply that to any crafts for any younger person trying to get into a field. It's really important. And then to step away from the individual side, you mentioned mm-hmm. the in there. I'd like to put that quote up because it's something I learned from John Forslund, actually, who now does the Seattle Kraken on TV that you know, we are just one part of a big team that makes this show possible. And uh, there are a lot of people behind the scenes in the offices here in Chicago that are making this franchise a well-oiled machine. And that on the broadcast side, you look at it, and then on TV, you have a director, you have a producer, you have your graphics people, you have people in audio. And it's a lot of people coming together for one show that you see on TV, and maybe you see the play-by-play and the analyst and the sideline reporter on TV, but all those people behind the scenes mm-hmm. are truly what make the show possible. So I think like in being an athlete, you develop team chemistry, and then you practice throughout the week. And hopefully when game time rolls around, you can win the game and succeed. And But there's a lot of time that goes into that. So um, I really enjoy I think at the end of the day, Mark, the the time and effort that goes into that, because now, now I'll be doing my games um, as we record this next week. But there's a lot of prep that's going to go into that beforehand <laughs> uh, in order to make those broadcasts successful to people that are watching. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of time and effort that goes into that. But uh, I enjoy putting in that time and
0: effort. Jason, uh, thanks again for your time talking to us on the podcast about uh, Trevor Thompson, Pat Foley, your uh, Detroit hockey roots, what it takes to reach this level of broadcasting, and all the best. Best of luck on that upcoming Chicago road trip.
1: Thank you so much, Mark. Really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me on. And uh, gosh, I hope we get to chat in person one day. This is fantastic.
0: Our thanks again to Jason Ross Jr. Now let's hear from Red Wings defenseman Mark Stahl, who talked before the All-Star break about how they've got to tighten up defensively, making safe plays, living to see another day, as Jeff Plachal says. Here's Mark Stahl. We don't really have it as a team. We just gotta, you know, find a way not to hurt ourselves and, and just and, and be happy with nothing going on. And uh, you know, I think. Uh, We can learn that going into uh, into the second half of the game, just get tighter and and more tight checking and and harder to play. And, uh, you know, we got to regroup and gear up for that. Ted, listening to Mark Stahl there, it almost sounds like having another coach on the ice. He was using those terms like being happy with nothing going on, learning to manage the puck, building on shifts, getting the momentum back. Do you think Jeff Blaschel will be able to get this team to be as consistently hard to play against Against these other teams, better teams, in February and March, certainly at home they have, but not so much on the road. Well,
2: the inconsistency, Mark, it just seemed like the last couple weeks before mm-hmm. this All Star break, it was in, you know there were a couple of games that they they played really well defensively, played the way they needed to, and beat a really good Pittsburgh team, beat a good Anaheim team, but then. Those games against Toronto, the last game against Los Angeles was a little bit of an eye-opener. Los Angeles mm-hmm. been here and thoroughly outplayed them, basically, I thought. Um, yeah, just need a consistent level, especially defensively, like you said. Uh, need to get some secondary scoring. That's always that's been an issue all season. Mm-hmm. Things that need to be done. I mean, if they want to be competitive this second half, you're right. Defensively, there has to be the need to somehow just prove too many chances against, too many quality chances against they were given up. But they are going to get Jacob Vrana here in the near future. Mm-hmm. It's almost like adding, you know, a premium goal scorer at the trade deadline. They haven't had him all year. He's getting healthier. He should be out. Sounds like he's going to be ready to play by the end of the month. That's a nice little ingredient to add to your lineup. He's going to score goals. He's going to be a good I think he's I mean, it'll be interesting to see what kind of juice he provides. Is that going to be enough for them to really challenge for a playoff spot? I doubt it. Mm-hmm. But that's a nice that's a nice addition to your lineup, especially if he played, if he plays the way here at the end of last season. So, you know, that that'll add, that 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 will should help the secondary scoring we're
0: talking about and finally let's hear from pat verbeek who was hired as general manager of the anaheim ducks a team he said is midway through their rebuild with players like trevor zegris jamie drysdale and mason mctavish three players three guests on our show here's verbeek on steve Eiserman's reaction when he got the job he was uh very excited for me and uh that made me very happy um mainly because we've been working together for so long. It's, it's always tough uh, to kind of step away and start to do things on your own. But at the same time, it's, uh, um, it's, it's very exciting for me to become the general manager. Um, there's been a lot of, uh, we've gone, you know, through a lot together. And, uh, and now it's, uh, you know, I'm hoping that, you uh, you know, I can do the job that he did in Detroit and in Tampa and build the Anaheim Ducks into a contender. So, Ted Verbeek is gone, but Steve Eiserman added Nicholas Lidstrom and promoted Sean Horkoff into Verbeek's role. Verbeek's Ducks are seven games over 500, so you can see why he would say they're midway through the rebuild. The Wings are one game under 500. We're still a ways away, aren't we, though, from the wings getting to the ducks level, or are the wings closer to that, midway through the rebuild and on their way up? I don't think
2: they're that far away from Anaheim, Mark. I don't know what you <laughs> but I don't think they're that far, but it's a great opportunity for Papery Beak. I mean, that, no question, that does seem like an organization on the rise. I think they've surprised a lot of people. Now they that's another situation where the second half of the season, they have a tough schedule and There's teams below them with plenty of games in hand, like Edmonton especially, so maintaining that playoff spot's going to be difficult, but that's a good roster. I mean, Mm -hmm. Wings have played them twice. They've seen how deep they are with young talent, and I feel good for Pat Berbeek. I mean, that's a good opportunity for him. He's, He's been a plugger. He's worked a long time in the front offices with Steve Eiserman, done a great job. Really good to see him get this opportunity. And, frankly, Sean Horkoff to replace him in his role. Mm -hmm. Another guy who's been very impressive in the front office. He's done a nice job with the Wings. It's a good opportunity for Horky, too. So it's always nice to see good people rewarded in that way.
0: Thanks, Ted. And that'll do it for Episode 66 of our Detroit News Detroit Red Wings podcast. You can check out your stories at DetroitNews.com, on Octopulse, our Facebook page, on Twitter instagram instagram stories and snapchat thanks again everyone for listening rating and reviewing our podcast ted and i will be back soon for another episode of octopulse